I've got the biggest gin and tonic next to me that I've ever made because my wife had some <laughs> friends around about three weeks ago. Then she thought, oh, I'm going to come across as right posh. I'm going to buy some gin and some tonic and I'm going to offer them gin and tonic. And she didn't offer them any gin and tonic. <laughs> so we've had gin and tonic occupying valuable space in my fridge that could... Um, could be occupied by Branston Pickle at this time of year. <laughs> and Calippo. <laughs> it was Calippo. What's Calippo? Is that like a fruit juice? I know what a Calypso is. Is it a Calypso? No, you mean the ice cream. The the lollies in the squeezy cardboard tubes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're brilliant. Yeah, they are. They're amazing. Exactly. So I've, I'm desperately trying to get through our gin and tonic. So I just made myself a massive gin and tonic to finish it off. And so no, I'm, I'm ready to... <sighs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm enjoying? Tom? What's that? Sorry. There's two things I'm enjoying at the moment. I have just eaten a fat rascal. That's a brilliantly named snack, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not a snack. It's a fucking meal. Nice. What is a fat rascal? <laughs> so a fat rascal is there's a tea shop in Harrogate called Betty's Tea Rooms, which I think is really quite famous, and. My wife's family live quite close to it, and they do these things. They're like a giant, giant scone, Ooh. like literally dinner plate size. Nice. And it's got cherries and almonds on top, and they're absolutely beautiful. I, I love them, but it's about a 1,000 calories in each one. And I didn't ask for much this Christmas, Tom. There is just one thing I needed, and that was a box of Fat Rascals. So I kept on hinting to my wife, and she didn't get the hint, so I eventually just had to How tell her. How big is the box, then? It's a Fat Rascals for Christmas. Uh, if, the, if, the fat ras- <laughs> if an individual Fat Rascal is that big, how big was the box? Uh, like a shoebox-sized thing, full of just full of cake. It was, be- it was brilliant. I've had one of them. I've been munching my way through them slowly over the last few days. So I had that before the recording of our question and answer session, which if you haven't listened to yet, go back and enjoy it. And speaking of our question and answer session, we shouted out Stephanie who gave who sent us an amazing Japanese selection box for Christmas. And so I'm now gonna I'm now gonna open In up. In fact, I am as well. I'm gonna try it live on air. You go first. And Here then we I'm, go. Gonna... I'm having a glyco pocky, Tom. Glyco poppy. A glyco pocky. What is it? Let's open the packet. It's green and gold. Glyco pocky sounds like a horrible thing that happens to diabetics. It does, Carry doesn't on. it? Ooh. Oh, hello. It's a green biscuity stick. It looks a bit like a corn dog, a tiny corn dog if you're from America. And it's a biscuit stick with a green thing on it. I think it's been pulled out of Shrek's nose. I think it's green chocolate, possibly matcha or tea flavoured. Thank you again so much, Stephanie, for sending us this amazing selection box of Japanese weirdness. You're like Paul Hollywood. This is like Great British Bake Off, Sam. All right, I'm biting into it. Here's an audio treat. Describe it to me. Oh, keep your mouth mouth shut when you're eating, Sam. Fuck's sake. It's sweet and slightly seaweedy. Mmm. <laughs> what does it remind me of? <laughs> Running along the beach and falling flat on your face. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, yeah, it is. It's like having an ice cream and then falling over in a rock pool. <laughs> it's not entirely unlike cigar smoke. It's, it's very strange. As long as you include a donkey ride with that, is a is a weekend in Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is a weekend. Right, well, can we pause momentarily while yeah. I go and find something for me to snack on? Because it's ten o'clock here in the evening, and I'm getting peckish. I'll treat the audience to me finishing off my um, my pocky. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. It's not entirely unlike stale bread. I've gone for a porippy. Ooh, which. Which has a picture... A family yeah, favourite. it has a picture of what looks like a raccoon. And and a little brown pellety thing. So I presume it's raccoon poo. Oh, I've, 
I think I've seen these in my in my box. Yeah. Okay, let's have some raccoon poo. Oh, I'm gonna. Mun oh fuck! I've dropped my first turd. Oh, hold on. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh yeah, they're good. Crunchy. Oh shit. It's nutty, nutty, crunchy, and chocolatey. Ah, three other Snow White dwarfs. <laughs> yeah. What I look for when I'm looking for a lady. <laughs> Actually, if you've met any of my exes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely nutty. Let's <laughs> say chocolate is a bit racially insensitive. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think that through. <laughs> right, whilst you're finishing your delicious rabbit poo Snickers, mm -hmm. I'll do an introduction to this episode. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, our first proper episode of 2020. We're a little history podcast, although you won't be able to tell so far from the absolute master chef description <laughs> of culinary Japanese delights that we've given you so far. We're a little history podcast in which Tom, who's the man currently eating rabbit poo that tastes a bit like Snickers, and Sam, the man who's just been eating uh, seaweed-flavoured <laughs> chocolate, discuss history topics on a theme each week the topic is decided the week in advance or in this case in 2019 but everything else that happens is a surprise i usually ask tom what the topic I'll is but he's still him. chewing away i can hear in the microphone <laughs> <laughs> tom's in new zealand i'm in the uk so we can't see each other we can only hear each other but this week the topic is da -da 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 -da, wars that nearly happened that didn't happen. And mm. um, this was an audience suggestion, so thank you. It's been a really good topic, this one, hasn't it, Tom? Almost wars. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a good one. Almost wars. Never wars. I think it is a trick in never wars. They will, ha they, they will happen in Neverland. <laughs> it is, yeah. When nobody ever goes to war. Don't speak with your mouth do you full. Want to, do, you want to take, do you want to take a minute to finish your Snickers? Don't, no, please. no, I'm just going to occasionally eat them at, at awkward moments during this recording. Right, I'll make sure I ask you a question when you do. <laughs> Um, I thought it was a reasonably tricky topic because I felt like to discover something that was really deep in the deep in the annals of history, we'd have had to have done some serious research on this one. We would have actually had to do. We'd have work. had to do yeah. some really serious research. <laughs> How unusual! And, uh, and obviously, we don't actually have the time to do this. I mean, I don't certainly don't have access to a decent library. So, um, I thought it was going to be quite tricky, but I did find it, find a very very good example. And incidentally, Sam, I'm hopeful Excellent. that I'm going to have access to a very very good library in maybe five or six episodes' time because we're moving back to Cambridge. What? I am going to attempt to get access to the Cambridge University Library so that I can do my studying there for this podcast, which would be. Fucking awesome. They'll take one look at you and kick you right no, out. No, they wouldn't. You know what I'm going to do? They will. They'll, they'll take one look at you, Tom, and they'll say, I'm sorry, sir, you're not allowed to sleep in here. <laughs> I can apply to have access to the library and try and justify it on the grounds of... I, I On a, re, on a weekly basis, I record... <laughs> A slightly, a slightly below average podcast. Collection of human knowledge, <laughs> thousand-year-old collection of human knowledge, and I need to rinse it. <laughs> and I need to ignore it completely and sit on my phone <laughs> using your free Wi-Fi on Wikipedia. Uh, that's what I need to do. <laughs> Amazing! So you're moving back to the UK. I am, and I think by the time this goes out, I will have probably told my existing client base. So. Yes, I will be moving back to the UK, so there'll be no time difference. So there'll be no me drinking gin and tonic, you drinking a cup of coffee. I mean, there might still be. <laughs> um, yes, I'll be moving back to Cambridge in the UK. But otherwise, don't worry, audience, this podcast will otherwise remain unchanged. In fact, it'll probably be better, because I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to be working part-time, 
primarily on this podcast um, instead of working 60 hours a week and then doing this tide. God, imagine. Imagine the jokes we'll be able oh, to tell when you Imagine the bum jokes. I mean, imagine oh. the innuendo. Uh, well, I can't wait. Otherwise, nothing in this podcast will change, I don't think, other than Tom won't be falling asleep halfway through my story. Uh, well, he actually, he probably, he probably still will be. <laughs> <laughs> desperately, desperately looking at the watch, thinking, I've got to get up at five. Yeah. Well, there we go. Right. Should we f- should we flip something? I've just finished my last one, so I can't flip that. I'll tell you, why don't you flip the packet? Ooh, boom. I'll flip the packet. Do you want the side that has a picture of a raccoon creature going, Ooh, you're eating my poo pellets. <laughs> or would you look the other side, which has all the ingredients in Japanese, which probably says, I don't know, lead poo. paint, <laughs> rabbit raccoon poo, poo. shoes. <laughs> um... <laughs> Right, I, I'll have the I'll have the raccoon side, Tom. Okay, you'll have the raccoon side. Let, it probably won't make a noise, but I'm going to flip it. You have got the raccoon side. That. You have won the toss. I'm going to let you go first, Tom. Very, very good. Right, uh, me first. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about a war that almost broke out on the 11th of November 1981 between two European superpowers. Oh, who starts a war on the 11th of November? That's bad. Uh, exactly, the 11th of the 11th. That's just I manners. Hear you, yep, the day of peace, Armistice Day. Well spotted, Sam. Um, I was going to mention that. So on this day in 1981, a rogue Danish ambassador, a chap called Mogens Wandel Peterson, great Danish name. Mogens Wandel Peterson. Hello, have you got any rye bread? Oh. Very nice. Oh, it could be. Would you like to share a beer? A Carlsberg. It led a force <laughs> of 5,000 individuals, many of whom were dressed in full Viking war attire, into the Huescar municipality in the province of Granada in Spain. The Danish invasion of yep. Spain. And when word of this approaching Danish war... In the 1980s. In the 1980s. When word of this oh. approaching Danish war band reached the town of Huescar, all... 10,176 inhabitants of the town were told, today you are not allowed to go to work. You need to prepare the town for the invading party of Danes. So Mayor Jose Pablo Sarano led the preparations. Large banners were put out outside the town declaring that Danes were entering enemy territory. Free wine was made available to the people of Huesca to calm their nerves (laughs) and help them become battle-ready. What? I know, and it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I'm hoping we're getting some context to this as to why it happened. That will come. But... Don't you worry. And it's not really. It doesn't really sound like a fair fight, does it? But getting the population drunk. <laughs> I mean, and also, I like the inference that the Spanish were going to go to work that day. <laughs> <laughs> they were planning on it. <laughs> All right, Nigel Farage. And then the Danish right. showed up. <laughs> For all this, there's a tired old stereotype. <laughs> A very tired old stereotype that is completely untrue that the Spanish. Mm. <laughs> Spani- you say completely don't do any untrue, work. Sam. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, where was it? So, it doesn't really sound like a fair fight, does it? Let me describe Huesca. In 2018, it had a population of less than 8,000 and an area of 468 square kilometres. Now, here's a question for you, Sam. How big is Denmark? Have a Ooh. guess. I'm going to say that Denmark is 120,000 square kilometres. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to let you know the true figure shortly. But where on the list of the world's Ooh, biggest countries... I like country, I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? Where on the list of biggest world countries does Denmark stand? They're 200... 200- 
10, 212 recognised countries in the world. I'm going to say Denmark is probably... Uh, I don't know. They, oh, 230. Something like that. It's over 200. I'm going to say Denmark is probably 160th, uh, 170th. Well, Sam, you have fallen into a rather large trap. You've fallen into a very large trap. Denmark has an area of 2,210,579 kilometres squared and a population of 5.8 million. It is the 12th largest country in the world. Can you work out why? Really? I've always assumed that it was tiny. Yeah, can you work out why it's the 12th largest country in the world? In terms of landmass? Yeah, in terms of landmass. Oh, because of fucking Greenland. Boom! There you go, because of the autonomous territory... Of Greenland, which is technically owned Bollocks. by Denmark, I, makes it. The I 12th. should have thought about that. How, how, no, 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 I'm going to. How big's the mainland mass of Denmark? Mainland Denmark. Mainland Denmark is much smaller. Let me have a look. I'm going to Google mainland Denmark. Only forty-two thousand kilometers. So I was actually massively overestimating. So Gr- Greenland is a huge, huge, huge component of that figure that I gave you of two million two hundred thousand. Um, Denmark in itself is quite small. Uh, Greenland in itself, quite huge. Also, another question. I mean, listeners, you can play along here. This is fun. <laughs> in, you tuned in for geography, <laughs> incidentally, didn't you? <laughs> incidentally, um, it's four times larger than Spain, if you include Greenland. And a ridiculous amount larger than Huescar, that region in Granada. Can you name the 11 countries that are bigger than Denmark? China. Boom. Russia. Boom. United States of America. Boom. Canada. Boom. It's got the top four. Brazil. That's number five. Uh, Mongolia. Uh, uh. Uh, Australia. Yes, Australia. It's own continent. How many have we got left? How many am I missing? you got one, two, three, four, five. Seven to 11. You haven't got yet. Oh, what a fun game this is. Uh, Turkey. Nope. Really? Huh. You've been to at least two Indonesia. of these places. Uh, India. Yes. That's number seven. Indonesia. Nope, no, Indonesia. On the way to India. On the way to India? Iran? Nope. Kazakhstan? Yes, number nine. Ah, the, other, the others are a bit trickier. Um, Argentina's number eight, Algeria number oh, ten. of course it is. And Democratic Republic of Congo is number 11. Oh, wow. Okay. Very good. There you have it. So, I know, fascinating. I didn't do it? too badly. Fasc- no, you did well. You got the first four very easily. Russia, Canada, China and the USA. Anyway, hold on. You mentioned context a moment ago. Let me rewind. Not only... Oh, let me re- finally. <laughs> let me rewind 10 minutes. <laughs> let me rewind 172 years, Sam. Oh, that's a lot of this podcast for me to cut out. <laughs> <laughs> 172 years. That's a hell of an edit. Take us back to the Peninsula War, when Napoleon's first French empire waged war on the Bourbon Spain. This was part of the wider Napoleonic Wars. So the Peninsula War ran from 1807 to 1814. And in a nutshell, let me describe the Peninsula War... Spain and France were at first allied. Uh, together they invaded Portugal. France then turned on Spain, the old one-two, kicking the balls when they're not looking, the classic. Worked well for Hitler, didn't it? Um, the Spanish government <laughs> fell apart into quarrelling regional governments, and it was actually quite a brutal period in Spanish history. So alongside this peninsula war ran the, the Spanish War of Independence. So it was a very brutal period in Spanish history. The dominant French were very effectively hassled and never allowed to become settled as a result of Spanish guerrilla warfare tactics, despite the fact that they weren't unified. Very effectively hassled. <laughs> I like that. That's like cold calling. <laughs> <laughs> every, every so often a page boy just turns up with a, with a letter from Napoleon saying, have you been in a car crash that wasn't your fault? <laughs> 
Have you been invaded by a midget Corsican? <laughs> <laughs> by an average-sized Corsican, Tom, come on. <laughs> yeah, right, I knew you were going to say that. Dispel that. <laughs> <laughs> With one bollock. Um, did he have one bollock? <laughs> I can't see anything about Napoleon having one ball. Okay, so he probably had two. Okay, he could have had three. Powers of deduction are suggesting that it was probably two. Interestingly, do you know what uh, the the word for only having one ball is? Monobolicalism. Monorchism. Monorchism. Excellent. Good Googling. Anyway, uh, from one interesting fact to another interesting fact, the phrase, the term, guerrilla war, actually comes from this... Hitler didn't have one ball either. Hitler had two balls. That's right. You just completely um, interrupt my interesting fact. I don't mind. It's not It's not like it was a really interesting fact that listeners might enjoy listening to. You just interrupt with stories, with anecdotes of Hitler's testicles. That's quite all right. (laughs) (laughs) The term guerrilla war comes from this period. Interesting. Yeah. From the French word guerre, meaning war, not literally big baboon uh, thing. Uh, what? What? I thought you said guerre. No, uh, guerre. Guerre. Meaning uh, war in French. A war. Guerre. What is it good for? Uh, what? Is... <laughs> nothing. What is <laughs> it good for? Absolutely nothing. Apart from giving your white laundry a good airing <laughs> on the end of a stick. War. Uh. What is it good for? <laughs> Retreating. Oh my, come <laughs> yes. on, never together. Let's go. Uh, oh, oh. What is it good for? Walking backwards. Come on, boys. <laughs> All together now. Uh, right. <laughs> Whoa. Uh. What is it good for testing all the things in the zoo? You've been curious about the flavour of when the Germans saw in Paris. <laughs> Which episode is that? <laughs> episode you can insert episode Sam's voice food <laughs> the food that's right it was a food episode episode food <laughs> oh in fact it was the one room bakery it was your favourite episode it was that's right which was episode 8 I think it was it was episode 8 god we've had some classics god we have what a happy times back catalogue we've not got not like now <laughs> what a like the Beatles um the British, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this is <laughs> this, this is our Yoko Ono moment now. <laughs> the British were allied with Portugal and Spain and managed to ensure that Portugal remained out of the dirty, baguette-bothering, onion-ogling, pate-prodding French hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we've grown up and abandoned all of these old national stereotypes <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> Well, it seems we, we seem to be doing well with French and German listeners and Australian yeah, listeners, do, for actually, that matter, yeah. despite how rude we are about them. I think it's because we're equally as rude about the British. Anyway, from Portugal, the British had a base and they managed to hassle the French under the leadership of Sir Arthur Wellesley, first Duke of Wellington. Ah. Obviously a significant figure. Lots of sharp. Yes, obviously, yeah, with, with, <laughs> obviously a very significant figure in the Napoleonic Wars. And I didn't realise this, but I should have actually said his name in not a, a posh English accent, I should have tried it, in a Dublin accent, because he was born in Dublin. <clears throat> ah. So Arthur Wellesley, first Duke of Wellington. How was that? First Duke of Wellington. <laughs> well, Tom, I'm glad you're getting your practice in now, because there'll be more Irish accents later. Excellent. Well, I can do Belfast. And I hope they're significantly improved. <laughs> <laughs> I could do Belfast more easily. So Arthur Wellesley, first Duke of Wellington. <laughs> I'm not sure you can. Sure, Arthur Wellesley, first Duke of Wellington. Oh, it, sounds, it sounds like a Northern Irish Sean Connery. It sounds like Liam Neeson crossed <laughs> with Sean Connery, doesn't it? I don't know where you are, Napoleon. I don't know what you're doing. 
but I got a special set of scales for you. I think that's been cut from a number of episodes, but hopefully it will finally make it the has, cut. It has, yeah. We've, we, it's about to get cut from one more. Hopefully it will finally make the cut along with my Hugh Laurie impression, which you've cut out twice now. <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> Go on. <clears throat> Bothering bother, Blackadder. That was, that was my Hugh Laurie impression. This is going to get kept in as a Christmas gift from me to you. <laughs> Thank you for my... For my impression, I can only I can only impersonate Hugh Laurie with two words: bother and blackadder. Uh, right. Woof. <laughs> 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 Where was I? After Napoleon's uh, decision stupide to invade Russia, the British, Portuguese, and Spanish retook the Iberian Peninsula and chased the retreating Frenchies across the Pyrenees. Something the French did very effectively, bizarrely. And Denmark was <laughs> very much... Ah, uh, you think we can retreat well across flat ground? You see us in the mountains. <laughs> we, are, we are like goats. We are like mountain goats. goats. <laughs> <laughs> nimble-footed. Far more nimble-footed in reverse than in the front <laughs> gears. <laughs> Watch as like the lorry or the big truck we make the beep, beep, beep noise as we reverse <laughs> rapid over the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Denmark was very much involved in this war, by the way. While Spain was allied with France, the Spanish had actually had troops in Denmark called the Division of the North, which had been protecting the region of Napoleon's, this sort of distant region of Napoleon's empire. Uh, the British also fought the Danish on a number of occasions during the Napoleonic Wars. Anyway, at the outbreak of the Peninsular War, Denmark became an enemy of Spain because Spain then sided with the British. Against this backdrop, the Huescar Town Council declared war on Denmark, Sam. Oof. Fast forward to the early 1980s. Vincent González Barberan, a Spanish chap, discovered the original declaration of war. And technically, the Spanish and Danish had been at war for 172 years because no peace had been agreed. The town of Huescar wow. hadn't signed any peace treaty. Let me now return to my 5,000 invading Danes in 1981. Well, I was, I was having a it's joke. It's only taken 40 <laughs> minutes to get here. <laughs> I was having a little joke. These Danes were actually all I thought you might tourists be. dressed as Vikings for a joke because the Danish have a wonderful sense of humour. Not, not, not too dissimilar to ours, actually. Lots of poo and bum jokes. <laughs> Public service announcement. Whilst the Danes and the British do have a sense of humour about these things... If the British invade you, it's not usually a joke. <laughs> no, we're there to mean business. You've got two options. You're about to start singing Rule Britannia, or there's a football match on and you're about to get battered with a chair. Yeah. And you know full well if Sean Bean is in the front line, you're fucked. Absolutely. That bastard's going to get you. <laughs> so, yeah, these Danes were actually all tourists dressed as Vikings for a bit of a joke, and the inhabitants of Huesca were actually given a holiday and the wine to celebrate this tongue-in-cheek peace treaty signing that had been arranged as a bit of a joke so yes this tiny area of granada and this mighty clog wearing herring gobbling beach nuding danish <laughs> scandinavian country <laughs> had signed a peace treaty <laughs> oh do me do me <laughs> um, uh, sam sam the weight training i don't have children so i can go to the gym for two hours a daying japanese treat gobbling craft beer swigging beer combing brummy <laughs> very good very good oh god your turn your turn do me do me go on tom the frenchy baiting kiwi ass kissing 
fat, slimming, seat-sitting, <laughs> anyway saying over to you, repeating bastard of the South traitor from Britain. That sounded, that sounded like an Eminem song for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's spaghetti eating. <laughs> Wonderful. I just imagine you're spitting those rhymes at a at an open mic night in Compton. Hang on, let's let me yes, let me get that spit off my keyboard. <laughs> so the, the, yeah, this uh, just to satisfy our friend um, Bjorn. There you have it, Sam. There you have it. That was my story of a war that never quite happened. There we go. A war that never quite happened, but actually did happen. It did happen, Tom. You've cheated. You've lied. The war did happen. It just took 170 years for the peace treaty. Well, I, the the town of Huescar at the time of the declaration of war during the the Peninsular Wars had something like eight soldiers <laughs> versus the Danish army, which was busy fighting the British. Um, so it wasn't really a fair fight. I think it was very much the small man in the bar starting on someone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't. You say that, Tom. Eight men could have made a big difference against the French. That's true. All you got to do is get them turn around. <laughs> turn around, Frenchman. Every now and then, I lose a war. And <laughs> I, I like to start fighting in retreat. Uh, very, very good. We're only taking the Mickey because France actually is fine in wars. <laughs> it's an undeserved reputation, and it's a lovely place. I, I must. We've said this before. I do love visiting France. We also love taking the piss out of France. Mockery is the <laughs> sincerest form of mockery. Um, I don't know. You know who else loves visiting France, Tom? The Germans. Germans. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> the very, very old ones are the best. You're very good. Très bien, Sam, très bien. It's funny, we've both picked from the same period today. Oh, we both went Napo- we've done a lot of Napoleonic recently, haven't we? It was a very interesting period, and a very good one for silly little wars. A, a very good one for absolutely devastating huge wars, <laughs> but also a very good one for silly wars. <laughs> for essentially the First World War, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty, pretty much. I've got a couple of honourable mentions I'm going to do first, Tom. And much like you, in fact, I'm going to take us to the uh, late 70s, early 80s, my honourable mentions. These are quite well known, so I'm not going to do them as the main story. Very, very quickly, though, there's a couple of times when, in the Cold War, the world very, very narrowly avoided nuclear apocalypse, and it's only due to the actions of one or two individuals mm. that we've managed to save civilization. One or two very famous examples. Very famous examples. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them out as honourable mentions in case any of our audience haven't heard of them. The first is the 1979 training tape incident in which someone accidentally inserted a simulation program into the US's NORAD nuclear early warning computer system which led people to think that an actual nuclear attack from the Soviet Union was taking place. And it was only stood until down they, after an intern... Until they found out until they found out it was Peter Beardsley football on the Amiga Commodore. <laughs> what? <laughs> of, of all the games that no one's going to get, Peter Beardsley's football Peter Beardsley's European football from 1984... <laughs> on the Commodore wow. 64. Did you ever have one of those really, really early computers? No, my dad had... We, the first computer I remember us having was a Pentium 486, which had the original SimCity on it. Oh, so that's, that's quite late on, yeah. I'm talking I'm talking proper 
old-fashioned computer games where you used to have a tape deck, like an old-fashioned cassette. Oh, yeah, we, we never had that. Oh, no, brilliant. we were always on uh, five-inch floppy disks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's quite modern compared to some of the ones. I'm talking proper mid-'80s games <laughs> consoles. They were fantastic. Sorry, carry on. Yes, they, they realised that it, was, it wasn't, in fact, Peter Beardsley's European Football Championships <laughs> for the Commodore 64. <laughs> It was, in fact, Peter Beardsley's Soviet nuclear invasion simulator, <laughs> 1979. Imagine being invaded, <laughs> invaded by a force of Peter Beardsley's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Peter Beardsley, by the way, Geordie f- soccer player. Very football. ugly Geordie football player. Famous, uh, famously photographed during a football match with his willy out. Um, <laughs> you've ever seen that? I think it was against Holland in something like 1991. Yes. Have you seen that? Yes, the Netherlands were very much on display that day. Both of his Van Bastens were dangling out. Yeah, so so what had happened was someone had accidentally inserted the training tape into the computer system and it took an intern who'd just completed the training programme to notice that it looked remarkably similar. Ooh. <laughs> and someone went and checked the tape and turned it off. A year later, in 1980, the same computer system reported that the Soviets had just launched a, a huge assault on the mainland US. 2,200 missiles were reported wow. as being incoming. This one got really serious. The White House was informed, nuclear bombers were scrambled, rockets were armed and aimed, and it was only at the very last minute that they realised it was actually a fault in a broken computer chip that cost 50 cents to fix. (laughs) And tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in wasted time, aircraft, fuel (laughs) and emergency preparation. But it wasn't just the US. In the USSR in 1983, the early warning system went mad again, claiming a small nuclear attack was being launched by the US. And when I say small, it was just one missile was reported as having been launched. Now, regardless of the size of the strike, Soviet policy was that any attack whatsoever was automatically trigger a massive counter-strike. And it very, very nearly happened. It was only down to one man air defence officer Stanislav Petrov, who avoided war by just not reporting the attack. He said, look, there's no way that the US is going to launch one missile. This is a quite famous one, isn't it? It's very, very famous. (laughs) He decided that this was nonsense and didn't call it in, which is a pretty big gamble because millions of people could still have died. This is 1980s, and Arnie Schwarzenegger in the film Commando pretty much walks around with nuclear warheads on his shoulder. Yeah. So it could have been Arnie. It could, it could well just fuck, have been Arnie. Fuck yeah. you, Soviet Union. They've, they've actually spotted it's just one incoming Austrian. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he was he was hanging on to it. He was hanging on to yeah. the intercontinental ballistic <laughs> missile. It's not a missile. It's just it a tree. Is, it is one of my, <laughs> just it steering it with his guns. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. With his with his lats like wings, flaring yeah. yeah. out like a, a, like a squirrel suit. Yeah, <laughs> clenching a glute. Just to give it a bit of lift. <laughs> I'm coming to get you. I'm coming. What are you waiting for? High up ballistic missile. <laughs> missile. But it paid off. The gamble to not report it paid off. It turns out the USSR's defence system was faulty because what it did was it relied on satellites in space tracking reflections from metallic missiles as they were fired and from their exhaust plumes. And what they were actually just tracking was a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> They'd spotted a cloud. Me, clouds can be very, very intimidating, Sam. They can be hugely the intimidating. The only thing more intimidating is a marshmallow bunny. I think. <laughs> <laughs> the cloud. Very intimidating. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, war avoided, millions saved. So top bloke award to you, Stanislav Petrov. Those are my honourable mentions for nuclear war that was nearly avoided. But now we're going to we're going to rewind it. We're going to rewind it again about 170, 180 years. Much like you, Tom. I'm cheating today. <laughs> I'm doing a war which did happen. It just wasn't very successful <laughs> and very few people That's died. Good. No, I think you can bend the rules. I think you can bend the rules. That's yeah, good. It did happen, just not very well. Unfortunately, Tom, and you'll be shocked and saddened to hear that it's come to this. It's also a war and a story which does support several very tired national stereotypes, which we try desperately on this podcast to avoid. I'm disappointed. You know what saddens me most, Sam? Is the obligation I feel to uphold those stereotypes. I know. I want to put them aside as much as you do, Tom. I want to put aside these tired nationalist tropes as much as you do. But (laughs) I'm going to have to take part just to highlight how archaic they are. Absolutely. So fair warning to our audience, this uh, this story does involve Irishmen drinking heavily. (laughs) It does involve... The English arguing about who's more noble and more in line for the throne. (laughs) It does involve the Welsh desperately trying to defend themselves whilst getting dicked on by everyone else. (laughs) And of course, Tom, it involves the French surrendering without a shot being fired. (laughs) Brilliant. Four for the price of one. (laughs) Four for the price of one. Oh, and it involves an American tourist as well. There we go. Yes, Tom. Hello. This is the nice Battle to of... meet you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hello. I'm from Maryland. <laughs> My gosh, everything here is so small and old. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? I went to see a guy the other day who said that there's an, a Scottish tartan. From my family. It's amazing because my surname's Cruz. <laughs> C-R-U-Z. And apparently there's a Scottish tribe. Amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes, Tom, this is the Battle of Fishguard in February 1797. And very interesting fact, Tom, about this. This is the last time that something happened. What is that thing, Tom? Uh, is it the last time that there was an invasion of the British mainland? Yes, it is. Boom. Very good guess. Very good <laughs> guess. Very it much. was the last invasion of Britain. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was actually, I'd say the last invasion of Britain. Ireland was invaded a few years later and was part of Britain at the time. But the last time that the British mainland was invaded. Yes. That's good. Yeah, thank you very much. And it did not end well. <laughs> now, as an invasion, this all falls under the what's known as the War of the First Coalition from 1792 until 1797, in which several European powers loosely agreed vaguely to fight the French First Republic after the French Revolution. The French in this war had a cunning plan. They wanted to distract Britain from this war in Europe, and they planned to do this by invading Ireland with 15,000 men, quite a major force force, by the standards of the time, in support of Irish rebels against Britain. To make sure the landing succeeded and to double the deception and make life even more difficult for the British, they also planned two diversionary invasions of the British mainland, spread as far apart as they possibly could in order to take up as many British resources as possible. The first, and I can't fucking tell you why, was a planned invasion of Newcastle. Oh, we? I did now why you do that, Sam. You are Frenchy. Aye. You are French Raggy. What are you doing up here, like? Now, I don't know if many of our audience have ever met a Geordie, but if you piss one off, it's going to end badly. The men are bad enough. The women, Jesus, <laughs> you will end up with a stiletto heel in your eye. <laughs> 
<laughs> and this is proper Geordies as well. Not not the chest shaving, belly waxing, fake tan wearing Geordies from Geordie Shaw. These are proper Geordies. No. Proper Geordies. <laughs> proper with a middle work tattoo with Alan Shearer on their ass. That's right. <laughs> and Kevin Keegan on their chest. How weird. More 90s footballers. <laughs> Tom is a Geordie, by the way. He might not sound like it, but he, you grew up there, didn't you? I, I was, so 90s I, Geordie footballers are your bread and I butter. was born in Hexham, so I was born within uh, a couple of miles of the Tyne, which classes you as a Geordie. Yeah, so I am technically, no, I am technically a Geordie, if you couldn't tell by my accent. Yeah, dear boy, yes. The second invasion, the second planned invasion, was of Wales. Ooh. And the hope here was that locals loyal to Welsh independence would support the invasion, making life even more difficult for the British. Early on, Sam, and plenty of accent opportunities have already been provided. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Why do you think I chose this story? (laughs) So, in December 1796, the Irish invasion force under General Usch sailed for Bantry Bay on the southern tip of Ireland. Unfortunately, as it turns out, and who was to fucking know this, Tom... The point where the Irish Sea meets the Atlantic Ocean is pretty rough in December. Oh. Who'd have fucking thunk it? <laughs> and cold as well, no doubt. Yeah, a little a little chilly, yes. Yeah. It's a little chilly. It was so rough, in fact, the weather was so bad that the entire fleet was split up and the invasion had to be abandoned. Meanwhile, the force sailing for Newcastle had equally bad luck. Poor morale among the troops. They landed in Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They took one look at it and thought... Fuck this. <laughs> and mutinied and sailed back to France. Hopefully we've got some, some listeners from Newcastle who would have very much appreciated that Sunderland reference. Um. <laughs> but despite the Irish invasion being turned back by the sea and the invasion of Sunderland being turned back by taking one look at Sunderland <laughs> and deciding they didn't want it anymore, God only knows why, but the invasion of Wales pressed on. And on February 22nd, 1797, a force landed at Fishguard, which is a tiny town in the north of Wales. Mm. Now, the invasion force was small, but it wasn't that small. It was 1,400 men, supported by two of France's newest frigates and two other warships as well. So quite a formidable force to try and land on the British mainland. However, the French had made some, let's call them, miscalculations. (laughs) when putting together this invasion force. The troops were from the so-called Légion Noire, or Black Legion. That sounds devastating. Yes. which was it sounds ferocious. It sounds ferocious, doesn't it? It wasn't. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was led by Chef de Brigade William Tate. Chef de Brigade? Chef de Brigade, which is a rank slightly above a Chef de Salad. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. And slightly below un Field Marshal de Vin. <laughs> also known as a Sommelier du Battle. <laughs> the man who picks the perfect wine to go with any military encounter. <laughs> Largely a white wine, like the colour of the French flag. <laughs> <laughs> You know what goes with cowardice? Took me a moment. A beautiful Chardonnay. <laughs> Took me a moment, but I got it. Hey. So yes, William Tate was the chef de brigade. Very French name, William Tate. Well, that's the thing, Tom. He wasn't. He was an American. Ah. He was the funny bag wearing yep, New York absolutely. Yankees cap donning, pulled up Nike white Cargo socks. short wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Cargo pants wearing. <laughs> Shirt tucked in American tourist. And like most good Americans on holiday, firstly, he didn't really know where he was. (laughs) 
He was just wandering around asking if every church was Buckingham Palace. (laughs) (laughs) And also, much like any good American tourist who'd been in France and was serving with the French army, he spoke literally no French. Helpful. Very helpful. But remarkably British. (laughs) Well, yes. Yeah. This is very much being in a greenhouse throwing stones around because the British, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. we're not known for our grasp of languages. Pot kettle black, isn't it really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want two baguettes, please, Boupay. How much money-o does this little Spanish trinquetto cost senor? <laughs> Let me start again, all right? I know I'm in the middle of Paris. Do you speak le French? English, eh? (laughs) Yes. So he spoke no French, nor did any of his officers, because they were all Irish, or mostly Irish. (laughs) Which... (laughs) Which was fine, Tom, because the Légion Noir wasn't really a French force at all. They did have 600 highly trained and very effective French grenadiers. Grenadiers are good, aren't they? Yeah, the grenadiers are good Grenadiers are fascinating. They were the tallest, the biggest, the strongest infantrymen, weren't they? (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. With the longest legs to make us the fastest retreat. But they would, and that, and that isn't grenadiers. Isn't that where the bearskin hats come from? Because they made themselves look even taller. Yes, it is. So the grenadiers were notoriously intimidating, and they were grenadiers on in in all armies during the Napoleonic period. Yes, they yes they were. Yes, they were the toughest, the most highly trained. Huge they were the ones buggers. who got up close and personal with the enemy as well. They were your NBA players of the Napoleonic Wars. They they were properly tough. The six hundred grenadiers. They were. Like quite elite troops. And are very, very tall. But they were also joined by 800 not-so-good soldiers. <laughs> midgets. They were tiny, <laughs> yes. tiny midgets, which brought the average height back down to the medium. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know a funny story, that? In, I think it was <laughs> World is, War I'm I. I'm looking forward to this. No, 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 no. Napoleonic no. midgets, not, not come on. To this one. No, not related <laughs> to this one. But in World War One, the British were so desperate for troops that they lowered the minimum height and had <laughs> had a troop called the Bantams who were basically <laughs> fighting <laughs> fighting little people <laughs> shorter than average Tinkers. and they had a reputation for being absolutely ferocious they were like mini me's yeah ankle biters <laughs> yeah, they just right. bite the Germans ankles and, 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 and half the work to dig a trench it was perfect absolutely yes <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Little borrowers just running around. And, and excellent, <laughs> excellent when you decide to go over the top. Because you just catapult them. <laughs> yep. Bing! Their tanks. Their tanks were just a roller skate. <laughs> <laughs> with, 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 with a pea shooter. Yeah. <laughs> with a little slingshot. Yeah. Taking the piss out of people with disabilities, not happy when it's a Siamese twin. Delighted when no. it's a midget. <laughs> Getting vaguely back to this story. So they had 600 grenadiers, but they also had 800 irregular troops. Irregular. Some of these were Irish volunteers. <laughs> what yes. did we buy, what, lopsided? Not... What, one leg longer <laughs> than the other? <laughs> yeah, they only, poo- they only pooed once every other day. <laughs> no, no, they, there was Didn't no pattern. Prunes. There was no pattern. There was nothing else. Sorry, there was no pattern at all. One yeah. moment it was there. Much like a newborn child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weeks on end without pooing, and then suddenly, poo army. Five at a time. <laughs> 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 I think it means it means irregular in that they weren't a normal professional fighting force. There's quite a contradiction here, isn't there? There's, there's there's quite a contrast between the the tall, handsome, strapping brigadiers, mustachioed grenadiers, <laughs> and yes, the lopsided and, midgets. <laughs> well, 
Well, it wasn't much better <laughs> because this 800 irregular force consisted of a few Irish volunteers and quite a large force that was operating as a penal battalion, basically prisoners. Wow, okay. They were royalist or anti-republican prisoners of war. So they already hated the French. I was about <laughs> That's to say, not really a loyal force, is it? Well, Tom, it gets even less loyal because quite a few of them were actually British prisoners of war. <laughs> yeah, but a strategic error here. Yes, a slight strategic error. Most of us can spot it. In fact, so many of them were British that they were called the Légion Noire because they were wearing nothing but badly dyed British redcoats captured earlier in the war. And I mean badly dyed. <laughs> they were called the Black Legion. But actually, most of their coats they were sort of brown or pink. Well, they sort of tie-dyed, were they? Were these like a, a group? They of, were basically hippies. A group of computer programmers red coats. from Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah. And so, Tom, what happened when these British soldiers were landed on a friendly shore <laughs> in Wales? They went to the nearest pub. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> so yes. The British element of this fighting force decided to very faithfully do the French thing in line with the wills of their new masters and they ran away. What a ridiculous... <laughs> so the British troops what, what immediately the, just went home. What did the French think would happen? Send them to some other front? Good question. God almighty, French people. <laughs> yeah. And so as the troops landed, half of them immediately ran away into the night. The British ones went home. The Irish decided to take a very liberal interpretation of the French orders that they should live off the land whilst they were there. And what they meant by that was, you know, take vegetables from the fields, kill chickens every so often. The Irish went to the pub, Tom. Right. <laughs> they looted the town and they went to the pub. No offence, but there's a couple of stupid things there. Number one, yes. why, why have Irish people in your forces who you know are going to turn coats the moment you set foot in Wales? And number two... If you're if you're the Irishman, why would you loot a town and then go to the local pub, carrying <laughs> people's vases and best silverware? Yes, it's a pretty obvious place well, to be found, isn't quite. it? Quite. <laughs> that is pretty much exactly what happened, Tom. Gareth Thomas looks over and says, "Is that, is that my <laughs> finest set of plates you've got over there? What are you doing with my Princess Diana Memorial of China?" <laughs> <laughs> Now, the French in this campaign, Tom, this very brief and unsuccessful campaign, were hit by two pieces of very bad luck. The second will come to in a minute, but the first is this. They were French. A week or so... <laughs> Apart from being French. A week or so earlier, a Portuguese ship had been wrecked on the coast near Fishguard. It had been carrying nothing, Tom, except wine. <laughs> It was fully laden, and so every single house in the area was absolutely stuffed to the gunnels full of salvaged bottles of finest Spanish and Portuguese Ooh, wine. Nice. The Irish troops and the prisoner battalions got absolutely battered. <laughs> Literally, they couldn't walk. Most got hopelessly lost trying to find their way back to the camp and fell asleep in farmhouses or hedgerows, and the rest got into fights with the locals. <laughs> Now, Tom, I don't want to be leaning on tired stereotypes, as I've said several times in this episode. Will you calm down now? <laughs> Will you calm will you down now? We we'll just, just stop fighting. Can't bygones be bygones now, will you? Put your bottles down now. Why do we have to fight the Welshies? Why can't we just enjoy a nice bottle of Spanish wine together? Why don't we all hate the English together? <laughs> <laughs> so what you so what you ended up with was hundreds and hundreds of Irishmen absolutely <laughs> mullered wandering around the countryside 
pissing off the locals and stealing their plates. <laughs> One group broke into a church for warmth, bear in mind it was February, and started a fire using a Bible as kindling and smashing up all the pews, which obviously pleased the locals no end. Yes, excellent. Bit of extra time in purgatory. Yep, okay. Indeed. <laughs> Meanwhile, whilst all this was going on, the British got themselves organised. Not too quickly, mind, because there was a party on. Right. The local forces were under the command of a Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel, sorry, British pronunciation, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Knox, who was in charge of the Fishguard and Newport Volunteer Infantry, the largest force in the area. Unfortunately, you are kidding, Mr. Hitler. That's what it sounds like. If you think <laughs> it, does. it does sound a little bit dying. dad's army, yes. They weren't a, they weren't an elite fighting force, the Fishguard and Newport Volunteer Infantry. Exactly. All the real soldiers were on the <laughs> continent. We got yes. Captain Mannering. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Knox was twenty eight years old, he had no military experience, and he just bought his position. He bought his rank. He had literally no idea he what he was thinking, doing. Fuck me, I've done well. I've bought a rank somewhere where no fighting is ever going to break or out. I have literally nothing to do <laughs> apart from ship the Portuguese wine. This is <laughs> yep. fantastic. My mate Arthur Wellesley, you'll never guess what. <laughs> He's all over the continent fighting the French. No Frenchies here, just some Welshmen and some wine. And he was at a house party. <laughs> Thomas Knox was drunk <laughs> and the message arrived that the area had been invaded he was drunk and initially refused to leave the party <laughs> he thought this was far more important uh, before eventually being convinced that it might be a good idea to drag himself home to prepare now once he reached Fishguard with about half his men he realised that he was outnumbered 10 to 1 by the French and subsequently what, there was one ran of away him to and the 10 French people <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> shit <laughs> Meanwhile, other officers in the area were woken up by the news and started to march to Fishguard with whoever they could pull together. One platoon was <laughs> one platoon was dressed and equipped for a funeral they'd been due to act as pallbearers for. Nice. I'm assuming they didn't bring the coffin with them. Yeah, Just shoulders. one man with a cannon and a coffin. Yeah, yeah, like that's another another good Arnold Schwarzenegger moment. Terminator three. Yep. Yeah. They, this was how desperate they were. They pulled together the local revenue office, which was basically the tax collectors and coast guard, pulled all the guns off its two ships, woke up the local press gang and crews, who were basically thugs with sticks designed to force men onto ships. They marched off. So you have a force of funeral pallbearers and undertakers. Yeah. <laughs> tax collectors. Yeah, vicious. Tax collectors and are notoriously absolutely violent. A drunken toffs. <laughs> And of course, Tom, what happened when all of these British officers met? There was an almighty row over who should be in charge. There were two colonels on staff who should probably have been given the job, but Lord Cordor, who was only a captain but had nobility Lord on his side, Cordor. insisted that it... Lord Cordor. Who was he working for? Sauron? <laughs> yeah, well, quite. A <laughs> lot of orcs. Yeah, Mordor, by oh. the way, is spelt with three L's, two F's <laughs> and a Z. <laughs> And the orcs are just the local props from the Welsh Rangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the orcs are just the local <laughs> ladies. <laughs> so there was an almighty row over who should be in charge, the two colonels or the captain who happened to have nobility on his side. Eventually, they wasted several hours over this, by the way. Eventually, the Lord Lieutenant of the county had to be called in. He mediated and decided that, yes, nobility was more important than rank or experience and put <laughs> Cordor in charge. Yeah, okay, yeah. Very British. This, by the way, wasted the entirety of the first morning of the invasion. 
By which time two things had happened. Firstly, the French, the proper French troops, had managed to move about two miles inland and fortify their position, although they still didn't quite control Fishguard itself. Secondly, about a third of the local population, the Welsh population, had run away. The other two thirds were piling into the town with whatever they could grab and there was an almighty fistfight breaking out. (laughs) (laughs) They decided they would have a nice sing-song, wouldn't they? (laughs) The Welsh like a nice choir, don't they? They might have been singing, Tom, but they were singing fucking war songs, I tell you that, boy (laughs) My, 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 (laughs) Delilah. (laughs) I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Something like that. I'm trying to think of a more fitting Tom Jones song. Um, You can fire your musket. (laughs) Anyway, so whilst a third of the Welsh population had run away, the other two thirds were piling into town with whatever they could grab, and an almighty fistfight and brawl was breaking out. everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) leaks mining hats cheese on toast being flung with great force (laughs) in fact there's one legend from this battle that one woman called jemima nicholas actually piled in with a pitchfork and managed to capture 12 frenchmen on her own she's got a pitchfork in her hand got a leak on her ear she's a lady Very good. <laughs> she decapitates a friend. She kicks the Irish lady. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Perfect. I can't bear that. Yeah. So yeah, she captured twelve Frenchmen by herself with a pitchfork and uh, locked them all in a local church. There we go. Local legend. Nice. The proper French soldiers, the six hundred grenadiers, just ignored all of this, <laughs> thinking it was probably best to leave the drunk Irish and furious Welsh to each other whilst they did the actual soldiering. <laughs> did the proper work. The whole thing by the end of the first day had descended into an absolute farce. And by this point, the French and the Irish were already considering surrendering. They knew that this was going to be a disaster. It was a pitch battle in the streets and the pubs. The British were on their way. The ships had disappeared. It was going very badly. By 5pm, the British arrived, having finally decided after an entire day's worth of wasting time and marching, who was going to be in charge and wear the big hat. (laughs) Who's going to get to wear the big pants? Who who can wear the leader pants? (laughs) Who gets to go on the horse? (laughs) But by this point, bearing in mind it was February, it was dark, it was cold, the French still outnumbered them theoretically more than two to one, so the British decided, fuck this, and they went to the pub themselves. <laughs> what? Now, this is how chaotic it is. What? Yeah, they went to the pub in Fishguard, where all the Irish were. <laughs> <laughs> this is how much chaos the entire thing had devolved into. Later in the evening, two French officers knocked at the door of the pub. Again, they just wandered in. (laughs) It shows how effective the British guard and front line was. And offered to surrender. This was when Cordor played what is, to be fair, a master stroke. He claimed that since his forces outnumbered the French so significantly, he would accept nothing less than complete unconditional surrender. Bear in mind, he was lying. He was outnumbered two to one, and his troops included tax collectors, thugs with sticks, and and a funeral director. So he had nothing to go on, but he played his hand and said, we outnumber you two to one, we'll accept nothing less than unconditional surrender. Well, it depends on whether the pallbearers brought a lot, a lot of the corpses with them. Oh, that's true. It's, you know, <laughs> That is true. Yeah. Or just loads of mourners. They were just loads of wailing people <laughs> <laughs> crying. <laughs> I was just thinking. Yeah, they bought the entire funeral cottage. Yeah, they just, <laughs> they just covered in flowers saying gran. 
I was thinking, do you know those? If... They bought the funeral home. <laughs> were they old people's home nearby? I know, we've, I know we've cracked this joke before, but you know those. They bought an obscure cousin from Australia who no one knows. <laughs> who just likes the, who just likes the nibbles. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. You know we've cracked this joke before. Those crappy street shows where someone's got two puppets in front of them, two puppets behind them, so they move their arms <laughs> yeah. and the person in front of them. Moves. I just imagine that with corpses. Doing thriller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Each of these pole bearers trying to make themselves look like they've got five times as many people. Do you know what? You're not a million miles off, Tom, pretending that you have more than you have. So Cordor issued an ultimatum to the French that they should meet him at 10 o'clock on a beach near the town the next morning and surrender or be attacked. And dutifully, the next morning, he lined up all of his troops on the beach in battle formation and the French came out to meet them. Now, here is where the second piece of luck comes in, Tom. The women of the town gathered on the cliffs above to see what was happening. And they were all dressed in traditional Welsh clothing. And what was this clothing, Tom? It was a red dress and a hat, which from a distance looked very much like a British military red coat. Ah. To the French on the beach, who probably didn't know too much about what Welsh women dress like, it looked as though there were a couple of thousand more British troops lining the cliffs. Doesn't say not very flattering. Doesn't say much about Welsh women, does it? Well, they already look like orcs. <laughs> According to us, they don't, by the way, they're lovely. Um, so yes, this isn't the worst of it. And so the terrified Frenchmen dropped their weapons and surrendered in traditional style without a shot being fired. In fact, almost no one was killed in the entire invasion. Seven Frenchmen drowned during the landing and a handful more were killed in the brawling in town. Far more men, more than half of the casualties from the battle, were a few days later when the Royal Navy tracked down two of the ships involved in the invasion and captured them with a loss of 18 lives. A couple of Welsh civilians were killed, but in all, less than 40 people died and over 1,300 prisoners were taken in what was effectively a two-day pub brawl. Yeah, stag do. Having said that, though, it did have a serious knock-on effect because when news of the attempted invasion hit London, people panicked and there was a run on the banks as people desperately tried to change their banknotes, which were slowly becoming popular at the time, for actual gold. And if you look at a British banknote, it does say on it, I promise to pay the bearer the sum of £5 on demand, which, which relates to gold. And so the banks essentially went bankrupt. They ran out of gold in London. Britain was uh, on the gold standard until the 50s, I think. It was, yes, absolutely. And so whilst the invasion was a complete farce and a ridiculous failure, actually it did cause a very temporary recession and near writing in London. So anyway, there you go, Tom, a stupid invasion using lots of national stereotyping uh, that descended into a stupid pub brawl. Fantastic. And the last invasion of Britain. Well, well done. That's excellent. You managed to get in bad Welsh accents, Geordie accents, Irish accents, French accents, American accents... And British accents. Absolutely, you did incredibly yes. well. It's a it's a rainbow story. It's my little multicultural rainbow family of. What did the American <laughs> commander of the French forces do all this time? Uh, he fannied about taking photos. <laughs> on, his, on, his, on his Polaroid. He bought, f- he bought some fudge in a tin. <laughs> oh my! This church is four hundred years old. Oh my god! That's amazing. Yes. That's so old. That's like older than my country, which actually at this point was only <laughs> it was a lot younger. 15 years yeah. old. <laughs> so yes, there we go. 
you did well. You did, you did find a suitably silly example. Should we think of something suitably silly to do next week? I actually thought the topic of genocide could be a good one. Hey, it's a laugh a minute. Again, this is a shout back to our question and answer session last week in which we were asked what our favourite genocide was. We've recorded in all in one big recording. Yeah, I, yes. I thought genocide could be quite good. I think if we did genocide, we could all learn something very wow. pertinent. You actually want to do genocide? You weren't joking. No, no, I'm not joking. I think genocide could oh, be a good okay. topic. Okay, let's, let's try and do genocide. We've made light of worse. We, we, we got through an episode <laughs> well, on slavery. True. I'm sure we can get That's through true. an episode on genocide. <laughs> Right, well, tune in next week, uh, next Thursday morning, Wednesday evening, for what's bound to be an awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this week, though. If you want to get in touch with us with comments, suggestions, anything else, leave uh, leave a comment on your podcasting app of choice. And please do give us a review as well and share us amongst your friends if you enjoy us. Or follow us on social media. Just search for That Was Genius on instagram that underscore was underscore genius on twitter and that was genius podcast on facebook and if you know a song called viagra on in the water please do send us a video of you singing it. <laughs> please mr please slash do. mrs hawkins and on that note i'm gonna let you go to bed tom say good night good night good night from me and we'll see you again next week bye, bye.